This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. My name is Dan Hughley, and I work for a company called Focusrite. And uh, this is a weird one because I'm presenting myself here along with Michelle. But before we get to that, uh, Focusrite, we make audio interfaces for recording any type of content that you'd like, podcasts, music, uh, voiceover work, audiobooks, anything that you want. And we've just created a new product called Vocaster, which is an awesome audio interface made specifically for podcasters. If you hadn't had a chance to check this out, come down to our booth downstairs. If you see me anywhere, ask me questions about it. Uh, I'm always really happy to talk about it. It's my little, my little baby. I love it. Um, I ran out of cards, so you'll see a card like this kind of on the ends of each aisle. We're kind of on the sharing system here. There's a couple more on the table over there. You can enter to win the new Vocaster, um, and if you don't want to enter to win, you can also get a 10% discount, which is something we've never done before, just by scanning that QR code right there and, uh, and going to our store and, and making a purchase. So now to the awkward part where I introduce myself again. <laughs> Uh, we're in the technical track here, sponsored by Focusrite, and this morning we're going to have a fun one. It's microphones, audio inter microphones and audio interfaces. Oh my! <laughs> Let me introduce Michelle Levitt. She's the marketing director at Heil Sound. She's been there for 18 years. And a fun fact about Michelle, she's completely incapable of chewing gum. So, welcome Michelle. Thanks, Dan. Um, should I introduce you now? Should we go ahead and get that over with? Okay. This is my, my good friend, Dan Hughley. He's the Senior Marketing Manager for Focusrite. Um, if you're in and out of this room all day, you'll probably see lots more of him. He's been with Focusrite for six years, and he does not believe that wild bears are real. That's true. That's true. Um, Dan and I have uh, worked together on a lot of talks like this because um, a lot of people are really sort of intimidated by... Uh, the gear and the signal chain flow, and we want to just help people understand that this is not something you have to be afraid of. This is very easy to do, and you can get really great audio from wherever and whenever. Yeah. Ready to get nerdy with it? Let's do it. All right. This is going to be fun, everybody. I love this one. So signal flow. Where does the audio go that comes from your mouth? You know, first of all, your, your voice is an electrical signal. It's a very low-level electrical signal that hits the microphone, and then it needs to be amplified. So it, it goes into the microphone, and it's a real, since I said it's a low signal, it has to get loud enough so, so your computer is able to do something with it and recognize it. So that's what the microphone preamplifier, or mic pre, is. Uh, so that boosts the level of that signal that hits the diaphragm in the microphone, which Michelle will tell us a lot more about, I'm sure, very soon. And it gets it to the audio, I'm sorry, the analog to digital converter, which is a computer chip that changes that analog signal into something that your computer can understand, those ones and zeros that you see that always going through there. And then it goes into your computer. So the DAW, whatever it is, if you're using USB or... Uh, Thunderbolt or whatever kind of interface you have that connects to your computer. Uh, it goes in there, it goes into your recording software, your DAW, and you can manipulate the sound. Because it's at such a high level, uh, you're able to manipulate it and you keep everything at the same level. But then you've got to hear it back to make sure 
that you're hearing what you want to hear and it's, it's sounding the way it should sound to the world. So then it has to go to a digital to analog converter, which then changes it back, those ones and zeros, back into something that hits your headphones and speakers and then vibrates your eardrums and you can hear the sound. And all of this happens in milliseconds, like what? Uh, under 10 milliseconds generally is the latency of the voice that goes through the microphone and hearing it back right here. We're, we're doing all of this right now uh, as we speak. So it's always good to start with something like this so you understand the process of all of the steps that your, your voice goes through or sound goes through uh, to be recorded and heard back. And it's, it's really actually pretty amazing that computers and technology have come that far that you're able to do that. I remember the old analog tape machines which uh, if you've never been in a music studio and had to cut tape, I don't recommend it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing experience, but it's quite the learning curve to get on top of that one. Have you ever cut tape? Um, no. Yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> Has anybody cut tape? Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yes, audio engineers. Uh, so what's a cloud lifter? A lot of people hear that term, or gain booster, or fethead, or whatever, whatever it might be. A lot of audio interfaces, they don't, they're not loud enough. They don't have enough gain on tap for something like an SM7B, uh, which is a very gain-hungry mic. If anybody has ever used one, they want about 65 dB or decibels of gain uh, for most voices. And most audio interfaces top out around uh, 58, 59 dB, um, especially in the affordable price ranges. Of course, you can get a little bit higher, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, too, because the new Vocaster that I was telling you about, 70 dB of gain on tap. So there's no more need for a cloud lifter if you go to something like that. But I'm not trying to be branded here. I'm just trying to do ins and outs. Um, but if you want to save $150, I mean, if you want to spend $150, you can do that. Um, Scarlett, I'll say that. Scarlett is incapable of powering an SM7B without a cloud lifter. So, you know, uh, that's one of the improvements we made. Oh, I hit the pointer. Sorry if I just got somebody in the eyes there. So what is an audio interface? That's a great question. I get that question a lot here. A lot of people use USB mics. Uh, that has an, it's an audio interface. A lot of people use uh, their, just their, their ear, ear pods, AirPods. Uh, that's an audio interface. All of that's happening in there because it's microphone, speaker, has conversion. All of that is happening. Uh, your computer sound card. Uh, that's probably the most common audio interface. Everybody has a computer that has a sound card built in. But it's one of those components that wasn't really built for high quality sound. It was good enough. You know, you're, all of the processing in, processing in there, they, they do good enough. They don't think everybody's gonna be a podcaster, everybody's gonna be a musician, audio engineer. So you upgrade that, you buy an audio interface that's external and it has all of these components that are really cool. Uh, the, it, you know, just like I said, the signal flow of it, all of that is in there. The mic pre, the AD converter, the DA converter, and then a bunch of other really cool things are in most audio interfaces, no matter what brand it's from, if it's Focusrite or anybody else. Uh, so the ins and outs. Uh, Scarlett, the most popular audio interface in the world. Uh, there's over five million of these sold to date, which is just incredible. It's light years behind any other audio interface out there. Um, I'm just really lucky to work for a company that sells this product because it's a great product. Um, so the, in, the ins and outs, like I was telling you before, the mic preamplifier, you'll see that uh, if you're looking at the screen on the left side of the screen, uh, there's two little holes there uh, with the gain dials. So you can plug your microphones into both of those. And then you see all the way over to the right, you have the monitor section. So you have a, a place where you can listen to your speakers or your headphones. You can plug your headphones in there. Phantom power. If you've ever had to use a condenser mic, 
uh, you have to have power for that mic because they have a very, uh, they require the power. Michelle's gonna talk more about that. She's the mic expert. <laughs> and on the back, of course, you have uh, outputs for your speakers. Uh, I love using speakers to edit and just listen to music all day. Um, but then there's differences between an audio interface, a mixer, and a USB mic. Technically, they're all audio, audio interfaces. Technically, they all are. Uh, like the Vocaster, Scarlett, something from other brands. Um, <laughs> nobody uses a giant Focusrite console, but I had permission to use that photo, so it's fine. Uh, but again, like the mixers that you see with faders on them, you know, a Rodecaster is a mixer. It's also an audio interface. Um, USB mic, Samson Q2U, which is one of my favorite microphones for people to get started with because it has an XLR output as well. It's also an audio interface. It has all those components, but they're squeezed into a tiny little uh, body there, just like this microphone. Um, it's all in this microphone. So there's a lot of room for crosstalk. There's a lot of very small components that are very close together. A lot of room for error there. And just like your computer sound card, it, doesn't, uh, it, it wasn't made to be a great microphone. Uh, but just like uh, I've done some experiments. I was on a, a, a live stream with someone who may or may not be in this room. And uh, they went ahead and toggled between their Samsung Q2U, I believe it was, uh, which was plugged in via USB. And uh, then they switched it over to their Scarlett. Uh, which was plugged in XLR and then USB to their computer. And the other two people that were on that stream, we both like visibly like turned our heads and we heard a very big difference. It was a complete upgrade of the sound of that microphone just by switching from the USB mode on the microphone to the XLR mode on the microphone, just changing that in the computer, what the input was. So, you know, start with something like a Samsung Q2U. It's great, it's very inexpensive. I own one, uh, there's Audio-Technica has one as well. I think it's an ATR2100. It's a very similar microphone. It's really great to get that proof of concept out there for your podcast, but you know, it's something that's upgradable as well in the future. Oh, I went the wrong way. I, that's it. I'm going to throw it over to Michelle now, and she's going to tell you all of those things that I missed about microphones, and I, I talked really fast. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, that's okay. Michelle has a lot of awesome stuff to say. Here yeah. You. Oh, thanks. Okay, so we're going to talk about the different types of microphones. One of the first questions that you should be asking when you're thinking about buying a microphone is which type of microphone you want to buy. Um, a lot of people will come up to me and ask if they should buy a USB or an XLR mic. That has very little to do with how the microphone will actually function and how it should be used. So that's really kind of a throwaway question and something you should be asking maybe at the end. But there are a lot of differences between um, dynamic and condenser microphones, and I'm going to try to teach you about some of those today. So, a dynamic microphone has a thin membrane diaphragm on it, and it has a, coil, a magnetic coil of wire wrapped around that, and it takes the audio signal, an analog audio signal, and it turns it into a digital signal to be used with an audio interface or a mixer. Um, these microphones are very durable. They can handle loud audio. You see these on live sound stages. This microphone I'm talking into now is a dynamic microphone. Um, these don't need a power source, and it, you generally do not need soundproofing to use one of these types of microphones. They also tend to reduce ambient noise because they are not designed to be, to pick up a lot more space or air around it. Um, a dynamic microphone is essentially a speaker in reverse. So if you've ever taken the cover off one of your speakers, you can see that big diaphragm in the middle. 
So a speaker takes an audio signal and turns it into a sound wave, and a dynamic microphone takes a sound wave and in a sim similar fashion turns it into a signal. So a condenser microphone is very different in its approach to how it converts sound, and it takes a powered, um, electrically powered plate, and it converts that into its audio signal. Now, these microphones are very detailed sounding. Um, they're phenomenal in recording studios. Probably some of your favorite albums you've ever listened to were recorded with condenser microphones. Because these microphones are very sensitive, you need a lot of soundproofing to use these. Um, and you can really only use one of these in a recording environment at a time unless you really know what you're doing. This is like high-level audio engineer stuff to be able to control um, a condenser microphone when you're using more than one. They also need a power source, which Dan mentioned. This isn't like an external power source, like you have to plug them into the wall or anything like that. It's phantom power and it's 48 volts. It actually runs up the microphone cable and back into the microphone. Um, a dynamic microphone is not powered in any way. The signal goes from the mic out of it and nothing ever comes back up in it. So if you are using a condenser microphone, you need soundproofing. So soundproofing is like large amounts of sound dampening. These panels you see around this room are all soundproofing panels. They're very thick and padded and they have like fabric over the top of them. Um, when you're recording in an environment like this, and I've recorded in a studio like this with a very expensive condenser microphone, the sound is incredible. It's very detailed, but you cannot do this like in your bedroom in your house. This is not, <laughs> not gonna be working for you. Um, sound diffusement is another option. Now, this is Blackbird Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. This is like one of my favorite places in the world. If you ever get an opportunity to go and listen to music in this room, I highly recommend it. It's an incredible experience. And one of the reasons it's so incredible is the sound cannot bounce around the room. So a good example of doing something like this at home is if you sit in front of a bookcase and you vary the depths of the books. So then the sound waves cannot bounce off a flat surface. Sound waves love a flat surface to bounce off of. So anytime you can make sure you have like an angled corner to where you're not putting a flat wall behind you and never ever please sit in front of a window or a mirror. <laughs> um, so there are options for sound dampening. Now, if you are using dynamic microphones in a smaller space, um, this is my podcasting studio I used to have in Buffalo, New York. We made these beautiful pictures. Um, these are actually like sound dampening fabric that I had printed with drone photography. And it would just reduce the amount of bounce that would, the sound would just bounce around the room. And we really only had two of these because we generally talked to each other from across the table. Um, so you just need to like, put a little bit up and sort of see how much you need. Now I had an engineer that worked for me that actually told me how much surface area I needed to cover. And so we bought exactly how much surface area we needed to cover. Um, but yeah, just a few of these in your home office or um, in your guest bedroom or wherever you happen to be recording can make a huge difference. Don't do this. Mm -mm. If someone tells you to buy a microphone and then that microphone will require you to put a blanket over your head, they are not your friend and you should not listen to them. Um, this is actually an NPR correspondent who is probably using a condenser microphone in a less than ideal 
environment. So please, please don't do this. There's a lot of flat surfaces there. Yeah. Okay, so rear noise rejection is a really important concept with microphones. So this is my reality on an everyday basis. This is my office at Heil Sound. Um, I did have the walls painted. They're not pink anymore. It's a vocaster. Um, and I have a huge window, and outside my window is a five-lane road, and no one ever knows it because my microphone only picks up the audio right in front of it. So you want to make sure you find a microphone that has rear noise rejection. A dynamic microphone will only pick up what's right in front of it. It will not pick up what's behind it. So see how this microphone is not picking that up? That's why you want to use one of these, because if I used a condenser microphone in this environment, you would hear all the traffic. You would hear my coworkers coming and going for lunch breaks. Like, you would hear the phone, the sales managers in the next room. It would just be a disaster. So this is my podcast studio again. And Really, rear noise rejection is a concept that you really need to be paying attention to, especially if you're recording more than one person in an environment. And a lot of podcasts like to record, you know, a host, a co-host. We always had our engineer in the room, and we had um, usually a guest or two. Sometimes we had as many as five people on mic in this little room. And um, this really helps to reduce, like, you can see the, the backs of the microphones are generally pointed, pointed down towards the table. We have keyboards there. There's pieces of paper. It never picked up any of that because the, uh, the rear noise rejection is, is really good on the microphones we're using there. Now, frequency response. This is sort of a heady term. Um, a lot of people put a lot more weight on this than what really needs to be addressed for a beginning podcaster. But what you do know, need to know about frequency responses is there needs to be some sort of rise in the two to five kilohertz range. That's the range of articulation in the human voice. If a microphone is flat in this area, it's not going to sound natural and articulate, and it's going to sound mumbly, and you're not going to be able to understand the person well. Now, EQ can go a long way to adjusting your audio and getting, allowing you to really like dial in your sound. Now, um, a lot of devices like the Focusrite devices do not have outboard controls. Those are something you would adjust in your DAW, but literally any kind of interface or mixer, it allows you to adjust EQ in some way, depending on where, where it needs to be. Um, so if you find that your sound is a little too muddy, you can decrease your low frequencies. Um, if you want your sound to be a little warmer, you can increase your low frequencies. If you need a little more articulation, increase your mids. If you're sounding a little too nasally, this is when you decrease your mids. If your sound is harsh, decrease your high range. And if you want more presence in how you sound, you can increase your highs. Now, these can all be used in combination. So, you know, if you want a little more presence and you sound a little muddy, you decrease the lows and increase the highs. Now, we have to talk about gain, people. This is serious, okay? This is you mean very volume? serious. Volume or gain? Volume. Yeah, exactly. Okay, gain is not volume. Do not use it as such. Um, so as you can see, and I use this picture because it's just one channel. This is like the most basic mixer that you can buy, and it's great to illustrate this. The red arrow is gain. Gain adjusts your signal strength, okay? Your line level or your individual person's volume is that blue arrow. 
These are not the same thing. If you increase gain too much, you can actually make a microphone feedback. I could give you an example of this today, but nobody wants to hear that. Um, too much gain will make your microphone pick up too much noise. It makes your, your signal very noisy, and it can also cause feedback issues or make you sound very harsh. Um, what people want in loudness is their line level or their main mix. And so you adjust the line levels of each of your talent because somebody might talk softer or louder than somebody else. You adjust those at that place. And then if you have your sound dialed in in this area, it's, it just goes miles in post-production because you're not in there like adjusting everybody's levels from host to co-host to guest. So these are the sort of things you need to be setting up before you hit record. So, um, if you guys have, you know, other people on your podcasting teams that need more information about this, I have a much bigger expanded version of this talk that's about 20 minutes long that you guys can watch um, on heilsound.com slash podcast dash equipment. You can sign up for our email list. We have lots of educational emails, too, that sort of go over more of these concepts in depth. I have a question. Yeah. So when you were talking, I have a comment and then a question. So when you were talking about a lot of audio interfaces don't have that EQ adjustment on them, right. stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, so, I, I, so some of the downfalls when you're talking about individual gain levels when they go into a DAW. Mm -hmm. uh, when you record, and what happens when one person is too low? And you, say you have five people in a room or you have five people on your podcast. What happens to the four out of five if one of them is too low? That's a really good question. So the only way to adjust that in post-production will increase your noise floor for that person's audio, like drastically. And what, what that means, so noise floor, this is another, you know, I sort of talk about these concepts. When I started doing this 18 years ago, the only people we ever talked to about this were audio engineers. And now I talk to, you know, quilting grandmothers. So it's changed a lot, and so we use a lot of concepts like these. So the audio noise floor is the amount of just general ambient noise that will be picked up in that area. So you'll hear things like the air conditioner, the dishwasher in the next room, the neighbor's dog, somebody mowing the lawn outside. So all those levels sort of rise at the same. You can't separate out that just the person's audio. So one question I get a lot um, and we'll, we have a lot of time for you. you. You all can ask several questions each. I think we have a lot of time left. But when you have, you, you showed your podcast studio, and I'm glad you illustrated that. How do you handle those microphones? How do you place people? Do you set people next to each other? Do you set people, in, what, what kind of way do you arrange people in a room when you have more than one microphone? That's D a good depending on, uh, regardless if it's uh, dynamic or condensed. Let's say dynamic for now. Yeah, yeah. Condenser microphones need more space in between or they need some sort of, like panel. Sometimes you'll see, the um, right, like audio bleed's not a concept we really got into today. Um, I have some more videos about that. Um, bleed is when like my audio gets picked up in his microphone or vice versa. That's a really bad thing because um, when you're in the post-production environment, there's not a good way to cut that out. So you can't take out what I'm saying in his microphone if he's talking over it. Um, sorry, what was the question? 
I got, I got off How do you arrange lead. those microphones? So oh, okay. Do you, do you, like we are right now, we have two dynamic microphones yeah. next to each other. No, this is great. This is about the distance that you want to be sitting away from somebody side to side. You can get a little bit closer. It won't be that big a deal, but you don't want to be too close to one another, A, because of audio bleed, and B, there are some signal things that can start to interfere with microphones when you get them really close together. Phasing. 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 So this let's is, get into phasing. No, That's great. Not. This is. I know Mark wants to talk about we're phasing. We're in the weeds now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then you want to make sure, like, if you're across from each other, you're giving, you know, enough space that you're not getting that audio bleed. And it's always, always a huge idea, like, please monitor your audio. The number one tip for getting great sound in your podcast is to be able to hear yourself. If you're not wearing headphones, I don't care if they're the cheap earbuds that you got for free somewhere here. Um, just make sure you can hear yourself because you're not going to know if you're off your microphone mm -hmm. unless you can hear yourself. Um, so that's like, you know, I give a lot of like how to sound really good on your microphone. Um, being confident in how you sound comes with practice. And the number one thing that I tell people is just practice, 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 practice. And then when you think you've practiced enough, record a pilot, throw that away, and then practice some more. I, I know I said one more question, but what, what is mic technique? And what is the best tip that you can give to everybody so that they don't? kind of drift away from their microphone and you know I, I spend all day on zoom calls and I do not practice good mic technique which is why I turn my gain up very very loudly because I'm not recording a podcast I'm just kind of talking off and on microphone all day yeah. long and uh, hopefully the people at home heard that illustration as well uh, how, do you, how do you normally handle that um, that's a good question and I will say that I have noticed <laughs> Um, so one of the things I do, you'll notice how I talk into my microphone. I pick it up and I put it across my mouth in the same way every time. I'm talking off axis on my mic. So one of the things we didn't get to cover today was polar patterns. So this is a great concept for microphones. The polar pattern is the area around the microphone that the microphone's designed to pick up audio. There are several different kinds of polar patterns, but you probably want to find a cardioid polar pattern, which just picks up audio right in front of the mic. It's not going to pick up stuff over here or behind it. Um, and you don't want to talk directly into your microphone. So what that can do is if you are a particularly plosive speaker, meaning you pop your P's, it will blast air directly into the diaphragm of the microphone, and it will sound very harsh and plosive, and it's really hard to get rid of in post-production. That's not somebody something your engineer is going to uh, be very happy about. Um, one trick that I used to do in my podcasting studio, we had really like heavy chairs, kind of like, not like these, but um, they were ones that you couldn't move, okay? Yeah. So you see where I'm going with this? You get your talent set, and we had a lot of people like the mayor of Buffalo, he didn't know how to use a microphone, but I have to make him sound good, right? He's in my studio, I have to make him sound as good as I possibly can. And so we would put them in these heavy chairs, and once they got comfortable, I'd be like, you comfortable? Okay, here's your microphone. <laughs> so get it, get them set, get them comfortable, and then giving people just a handful of audio tips on how to sound really good in a microphone. If I took this microphone away, the person in the front room couldn't hear me right now because I'm not talking to the person in the front room, I'm just talking to my microphone. So you don't need to yell and you don't need to project. Your voice is gonna sound warmer and more soothing, it's gonna be less harsh. So you can kind of control your own EQ in a way by adjusting your microphone technique. And this really comes with a lot of practice, like 
I use microphones on a daily basis and have used microphones for over 25 years. So just keep practicing. And now that everybody has Zoom calls, you, have, you literally have no excuse to not practice with your microphone, none. You can do it five times a day, um, and that, just practice. Practice is a huge thing for all of your gear too. I know I talked about this yesterday uh, in my panel, but never buy a piece of gear, no matter what it is, and open it, unbox it, and go do a podcast interview because you're not gonna have a good time most of the time. Even, even easiest audio interfaces, the easiest uh, recording software, you, there's a learning curve to absolutely all of this. So, uh, you know, I went to school to be an audio engineer. I take the time to, like Michelle said, record that throwaway episode, record some content, test it, make sure that what you think is going to happen is going to happen. Uh, that, that's one of the things that I, I can't stress enough is you, you get so much anxiety and stress when you plug in the first time and you go, uh-oh, this needs a firmware update. I have to wait 15 minutes. My guest is on the line right now. So, yeah, just, just be prepared for the un, unexpected, and you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Do we have any questions? Are there we any questions? Oh, we got one in the back. Not Tanner. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, Tanner. Great. So phasing. Wait. Well, yeah, we got, we got people at home watching. Yeah. We need the real audio. This is going to be fun. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hi, Tanner. Uh, so two extremely talented people up here who are just being so uh, gracious, giving us their time and all of their experience and talent. Something that I've heard repeated here by a lot of people who have stopped me in the halls talking about different things is, well, I get great sound. When I get close to my microphone, I increase signal-to-noise ratio. but you know, the real secret is to keep the gain turned very, very low. And I was wondering if you might squash that uh, false perception of once you normalize audio, what happens uh, if your gain's low and all the gain staging problems that you'll face if you've got your gain turned to like, you know, one, and then you're like, that's ah, really quiet. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you want to take this or you want me? Uh, go ahead. Okay. So... Gain can be utilized to create a sound. So one of, my, one of my best friends who comes to a lot of these shows with me, he's not here this time, Dave Hines, he's a voiceover guy. Oh, he's real good. Um, he has a voice like Silk. I, it's just, it's great. Um, so Dave actually taught me a lot about utilizing gain and how it can make your microphone sound. And I'm gonna try to, with my own voice, mimic decreasing gain. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk softer in order to do that. And so what will happen is you can actually change how your voice sounds and how your microphone sounds. And um, this can go a long way to changing really how, you're, how you come across, right? Dave does this to make him have that like, in a world where only podcasters matter. Like, you can get that by controlling that gain level and essentially the proximity effect of the microphone. So it sort of changes the tonality the closer you get to the mic and the further away. This sound guy probably hates me right now because <laughs> I keep <laughs> moving like, my mic back like and ride, forth. Riding faders um, over there. But yeah, knowing how to use your gain can really help. It can also really hurt. Um, so that's one of those things to, like, again, play with and practice. Um, yeah, but don't set your don't set your gain on like one or two, and then scream into your microphone to uh, to combat that. You want to speak or, at a, a normal volume and yeah. really adjust from there. 
to me, what it sounds like is your, your, the person that you're working with is adjusting their output rather than their input. So they're probably starting with their headphone or their monitor, probably their headphone output being really, really loud. They go, great, I hear myself really well. And then you're not giving the, the good, healthy analog gain that your audio interface is capable of. Uh, so you want to not have that artificial digital gain because that is, it's getting better over the years, like normalization has improved over the years. But you want to have the strongest input that you can, like I was saying, so that when you get into the editing phase, everyone is equal, right at um, almost at, at uh, unity gain is where you want everyone to be right at zero. You don't want them, you want them to peak right at zero. So you have plenty of dynamics in that voice. Otherwise, you're going to throw a compressor on there and you're going to squash the natural dynamics of the human voice. You can always turn it down in post. That's the thing, is if it's too loud, like if Michelle and I's tracks were, you know, six dB apart, which is double the volume, six dB is double the volume on the output, um, that's a big deal. So you have to cut my voice by 6dB at that point and, then or, and raise us both up artificially. And that's when you get that noise floor and that's when you have problems. So really fix it in pre, don't fix it in post. Like don't make your edit, don't, don't torture your editor like that. So we have these emerging, I just, sorry. Uh, so we have these emerging standards, right? They're definitely not standards as far as loudness, but they're emerging to become standards and maybe someday they're enforced by these platforms we list on. I think something that's, that happens to people a lot, especially new podcasters, is they'll do this thing where they'll set the gain low and they're hearing their monitors, right, their headphones, and they're like, oh, this sounds good. And then they put it into their DAW, or it's probably not a DAW that most of them are gonna be using, and then they bring it up to minus 16, minus 14, minus 15, somewhere in their luffs, and they're like, this sounds terrible, but it sounded so good when I recorded it. Can you maybe delve into that a little bit? I gotta be honest, that's not my area of expertise. I, I, or maybe I'm not understanding the question correctly. Well, talking about what compression is doing and why it's creating oh. so much noise when you, when you didn't yeah, hear it, it at the point of recording. Yeah, you wanted to grab this? So I am not a big fan of compression prior to recording. So this is a thing that people ask me a lot. Um, I really believe you should record your audio signal at full strength because once you take it out, you cannot put it back in. So if you think your audio needs compression after you've recorded it, then by all means, go right ahead and add some, throw some compression on there. But if you do it at the recording stage, there's no undoing that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what that does is, like compression, it reduces the dynamics of your voice. So we have our voices, you know, the, 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 the pitch and the level of our voice changes over time. I can get really excited about something, or I could be really depressed. And how do you separate those high highs from those low lows? Well, you separate those. A compressor takes the highs and brings those down, and it brings the lows up. And then at the end, because it's cutting those highs down, you have to, at the end, have uh, makeup gain. So that also takes the quiet quiets, which is that noise floor that Michelle was talking about, like anything in the room, anything in the circuitry, and that raises that up too. So not only are you squashing those natural dynamics of your voice, you're also lifting up all of the noise. So yeah, don't do that. Try to get the best and don't overuse compression. You know, not, if someone says you have to have a compressor on your voice all the time, no, you don't. That's absolutely not true. I, for my podcast, I almost never use a compressor. And I told my editor that, and he says, I put three compressors on your voice. And it sounds almost the same to me, both ways. So I'm not 100% sure why he would do that. I'm sorry, let me clarify. That's two, di <laughs> that's two different podcasts. So I have an editor for one podcast. I edit my own podcast. So uh, yeah, it's almost the same. And I go, you're, put, you're doing too much work. But 
that's his workflow. That's what I pay him for. So, <laughs> any other um, questions? Yep, I have one. Um, so, Chris, and I have a podcast where we have a rotating string of guests on the show. Um, some of which have very limited experience, like being on uh, a podcast, and sometimes no experience, and sometimes older people with like limited tech skills. Can you kind of talk about the pros and cons of having a mic that has like a headphone capability where the mic is kind of locked into position and, you know, either just the pros and cons of doing something like that. Yeah. That kind of uh, mic. You know what? I'll be honest with you. Um, I, Audio-Technica has a great broadcast headset. It's a condenser mic that's actually really good to use in noisy environments. And I know I'm contradicting everything that we've said about condenser mics. But I will say that I... The first, show, the first few episodes of the Focus Right Pro podcast that we recorded were on the show floor of the NAB conference, and all four of us on the show were wearing those headsets, and it actually worked really well. Um, you just, the only thing is they're extremely directional. So like Michelle said, they had really good, um, the polar pattern on that was adjusted so that it was like a super hypercardioid. So it was, it's super directional. So what I found was you just have to make sure that that headset is pointed at the person's mouth because if it's tilted back or if it's tilted down or if it's tilted out a little too much, you're gonna catch room noise and you're not gonna hear the person's voice just because that particular microphone has really great uh, re-rejection. It was made for broadcast. So it was made for people like in the NFL that are in a booth together, just not wanting to hold a microphone. Um, but yeah, th that's, that's an exception to the rule. That was a, that was a great question. You, you found a workaround that as audio engineers, that's what we do as workarounds all day long. No, there's a lot of people that I recommend that to. People come to me and they're like, I want to do a podcast with my six-year-old. And I'm like, that's adorable. <laughs> Put them in a headset. Send me the file. Send me a link, please. This is your only option, headset. Yes. That's it. <laughs> it, and it. And it is actually really good. It kind of takes that out of there. That mic technique is gone. And, it, and you actually get really good conversations because they're not like trying to focus on, is, am I close enough to the microphone? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? They're just having a conversation. So that, that is a really good solution for, for the beginners. They're expensive. Yeah. Um, to yeah. me, I, and, and that, that was the only con for me is they were, they were like four or $500 each, but focus right paid for them. So it was okay. So. <laughs> I think we had a few more questions. There we go. Hi. Hello. So I run a podcast with college kids who are, have no money and I yeah. as well don't have a lot of money. What do you do when you are doing a podcast with people remotely who have absolutely terrible mics? like using their earbuds or something like, whereas you or someone else, like it's a group of four people, half of them might have good mics, half of them have absolutely terrible mics. How do you adjust to that? Um, so I used to deal with this with my podcasting studio. Now, this was years ago, and I don't even know if this product exists anymore, but back then Logitech used to make like a $15 headset that was at least better than earbuds. Um, we also sent out an entire like one sheet to our guests of these are your requirements. You need to update, you know, Zoom or whatever we were using. You needed to have some sort of external like microphone headset situation that you were going to use. Um, we required them to pre-approve it with us and we did a tech check the day before because Inevitably, like Dan said, you open it up and everything needs to be updated and there's a firmware update and Zoom is like, stop, we're updating now. Um, so you re I really just forced people, our guests, to do that. 
It also had a fantastic side effect that it gave them confidence on the day of because they knew everything was going to work because I assured them it would the, the day before. An another thing if they absolutely have no budget and they refuse to buy anything else is you just have to set their expectation of this isn't going to sound like it's going to sound like I can't improve something. You know, it's we've all heard that now and high quality audio and podcasting is just a requirement. So you, you have to let them know that I've, I've tuned out shows that I like just because of poor audio quality. And I'm sure a lot of us have done the same. So yeah, just set their expectation of I'll do my best with this, but you're going to get what you get. I would go so far too as to tell what? our female guests, like if you're going to have an earbud situation with the microphone dangling down, you cannot wear a necklace and because that was like, and you could tell immediately when they did that, like and instantly. You know, also as like an audio producer and engineer, this is your content as well. Your name goes on this as well. So, you know, have empower yourself to say no and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not putting my name on this project because this is in my portfolio and people are going to look down on me for this. So, you know, you, ha you have to feel empowered to fire clients, you know, that it happens, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, you, you, you have to be proud of the work that you're doing. We've got about two minutes left. Any other questions out there? Yeah. Hey, Mark. Um, you, you, you started to breach this subject. Tanner was talking about, like, the reverse of the subject. But when you, you, when you watch pro podcasters, <laughs> Rogan, where he has a microphone that really need, you need to be up on or at least closer to, and, and when people go out and buy that particular microphone, they're doing this. And it kills me because, I mean, he is Joe Rogan. So... And of course, there's a obviously he can do it, but for the average person that's not an audio engineer, it really puts him in a spin. And uh, I just wanted to point that out to anybody that's looking to people like that. And the other thing that relates to that is that when you have um, people that, where's it going with this? Like when you're deciding whether or not to stream or not, because we talked about compression. I'm a, I like to fix stuff in post too. But when you have people that buy like a Rodecaster Pro, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm gonna use a compressor. It's like, yeah, it's okay to compress if you're gonna shoot stream, but you might wanna actually have split that feed and give you like an unprocessed track so that you can do it in post later on. Yeah. Um, as far, so what do you, I mean, can you guys like speak to that? I can 100% speak to the first part of it about influencers influencing in the wrong direction. Um, I, I know somebody who has a podcast, I don't think I'm gonna call him out because it wasn't his fault, but, I saw one of the people that I was working with, someone that was kind of new to podcasting, using one of our inter interfaces correctly, incorrectly. He was plugging his headphones into the monitor out on the back. And I asked him why he was doing that. And he said, well, I saw so-and-so do it. This person has millions of downloads a month, multi-millions a month. He's, he made a career out of this. He has a staff. And I went to him and asked him, and he was like, oh, it just works that way. And I, I like doing that. It's completely incorrect. You know how terrible it sounds when you plug into one of the monitor outputs with a stereo output? You have a mono signal going out into a stereo signal and it's just horrible. It's, it, I, I don't understand why they even used our product at that point. I would have returned it and thought it was garbage, but they were using it incorrectly. And when I told him you have to plug it into the front, this guy was like, oh my gosh, it's like you, you gave me a whole new product. And it, yeah, you, don't your influencers, just because they're great at podcasting and they're great at um, at, at whatever their subject might be, 
that does not mean they're a great audio engineer. You know, like, like Joe Rogan, he has people that he pays a lot of money to fix it in post. He probably has teams. He has teams. And who knows what his signal flow looks like on the back end. I know what we see, but who knows what, we, what is on the back end of that. Uh, and I'm sorry, I missed the second part of your question, and unfortunately we have like, what was that? Okay. Everybody, thank you. If you have any more questions, we both have booths downstairs. Yeah. Come on by anytime. Tell your friends. And uh, thank you all. You've been amazing. Excellent. <laughs>